This is Healthy Together, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. Visit rwjbh.org to learn more. And now here's our host, WCBS's Marla Diamond. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Together podcast presented by RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Technology-enabled cardiac care is changing the game. Today, we welcome Dr. Partho Sengupta, the Chief of Cardiology at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital and Chair of the Division of Cardiology at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. Dr. Sengupta is here to talk about the application of technology to address one of medicine's toughest questions, how to predict and prevent cardiac disease and acute cardiac events. Dr. Sengupta, thanks so much for joining me on the Healthy Together podcast. Thank you very much, Marla, for having me here. So what new technologies are being used in the science of cardiac imaging? So, Marla, it's very interesting that we are uh, at an inflection point where uh, new technologies, uh, including variable imaging and the intersection of these techniques with artificial intelligence is really creating a huge opportunity of how we can take care of our patients. And, uh, and, and there is a huge opportunity to provide that service during your routine clinic visit or use it during even your population healthy visit uh, events uh, for early diagnosis and, and, and understanding how to take care of uh, diseases uh, at an early stage so that they don't progress. So that's the opportunity that we are very excited about. We have brought this uh, now and developing a roadmap uh, towards creating a premier academic medical center in partnership with, uh, uh, with Robert, uh, Rutgers Robert Johnson Medical School and, and the Barnabas Health System. You mentioned AI or artificial intelligence. It's really now part of our everyday lives from self-driving cars to security and surveillance and so much more. How is it used in your line of work? Yes, uh, so the immediate application of AI has been to address the big burden of cardiovascular uh, disease that is increasing in the communities. And since the uh, there is shortage of uh, nursing staff and providers uh, to meet up the expectations. So the, what we are trying to use AI is to create the efficiencies so that we can diagnose diseases at a faster uh, rate and reduce also the errors in the process. So the first thing we are trying to do is to reduce the burnouts that physicians and medical providers are experiencing by providing efficiencies in the system. So it could be even in diagnostic efficiency or using a medical decision-making uh, where the AI is augmenting a physician. So it's not about replacing a physician, but it's augmenting a physician's and its ability to take care of the modern challenges in healthcare. And by doing that, uh, we are freeing up time, trying to create more time for physicians so that they can more focus on higher caliber activity like physician-doctor relationships empathy, trust, um, all the complex uh, activity that are important for taking care of the complex needs of the patients. So helping physicians and keeping them in the loop while enabling new decisions and new methods of discovering diseases in the population, that's where the major focus has been. 
You mentioned that AI will not replace humans in in certain aspects of medicine, at least not anytime soon. It sounds uh, very futuristic. How does AI help the human to diagnose conditions in in the heart? Correct. So um, currently, AI is in a phase what we call as a narrow intelligence. So narrow intelligence means that it can be trained to do uh, one set of uh, activities really well, very well. Uh, for example, when we do cardiac imaging or you're doing CT scans or x-rays, you can have the images and those images typically require to be processed and several measurements have to be done on those images. What AI can do very well is it can go onto the images and take repetitive measurements, all those manual processes which are long and cumbersome can be completely automated. So that's what is called as a narrow intelligence. So what it then does is it frees up the physicians and the providers to focus on uh, on understanding, given this sets of measurements and these likelihood of the diagnosis, how am I going to take care of the patients? So that's where being the maximum benefit in using AI. So the AI that is currently being used, we call it well, we call it as uh, deep uh, learning. Deep learning is a is a form of AI which can look at the images and it can learn to do some of the measurements and some of the information exchange and and pattern recognition. Cumbersome step that physicians otherwise would have to go hours of work that would be required. And then the physician can more focus on the diagnosis and, and spend more quality time with the, with the patients and work more on the pathway towards the solution of the problem how, rather than just being walked on by the measurements. How are you using AI at Robert Wood Johnson University Exactly. Hospital? So this is where we are using. We are using in three phases. Number one is uh, we are directly implementing AI uh, in our labs and in our outpatient clinics. Um, secondly, we are using it for education and thoroughly for research. And I'll give you examples. Today afternoon, I sat down with some of my imaging technicians and showed them a method for once they are acquiring the images, they can just push a button and the, all the measurements can be automated. And they were just thrilled and excited to see it because what it does is it allows them more time so that they can do a next patient and they can take on more complex tasks. Same way in the outpatient clinics, uh, when I see a patient, for example, I use some tools like an imaging tool. I connect a, a transducer directly to my iPhone and it becomes an ultrasound system. Uh, and using this AI tool, AI-guided tools uh, on the ultrasound system, I can directly see the heart of the patient right when I'm meeting the patients. And the first 20 minutes when a patient sees the doctor is so critical uh, because that is the time when you need to discover the solutions and discover the problem rapidly and provide at the end of the visit a pathway to the patient. Look, you have this problem and this is how we're going to do it. Unlike in the past where we'll meet the patient, you would not understand, and then you'd send them for a bunch of tests, and then they will come have to come back. So you just obviate all those processes by going into one focused clinical visit, do a bunch of smart, use a bunch of smart tools, AI-driven tools like pocket ultrasound imaging, 
and provide them a guidance. You need to see a surgeon or you can go back home and come back in three months and so on and so forth. So expeditious care, delivery, healthcare delivery. These are some of the examples of how we're doing in terms of patient care. In terms of educating, uh, by using AI, what we are trying to do is we are helping our trainees to get the same degree of information as would otherwise come from experts. So AI can serve as a guidance tool for them when they are collecting the data and for them to be able to harness the information in an interactive, individualized way as they collect the information. And finally, in research, we are really working with several industry partners and developing a strong academia industry collaboration. We have an innovation center that is going to come up very soon, inaugurated next month. And during this, there will be clinical trials and cutting-edge techniques that will be developed for a further furthering the research in this direction. I'm curious to know, Dr. Sengupta, if this technology replaces stress tests or cardiac catheterization. Yes. Uh, so currently, uh, it's still early um, process, uh, but I can tell you that in research work, we have already published that when we we can take an electrocardiogram. Electrocardiogram is an electrical activity of the heart. It comes in, th- in terms it th- in form of a paper copy of a bunch of waves that shows up. And we use typically those for for making medical decisions on how the patients are going to be taken care of. What we have done is applied AI on those waveforms, and we are able to predict what the echo is going to be showing or the stress test is going to be showing. I have also a paper which simply from the electrical signals, we have been able to predict what it's going to be on the angiograms. So you can imagine how you could reduce the burden of sending patients who would likely have normal uh, studies, they may not need to undergo uh, added tests, invasive tests, versus someone who's at a high risk uh, of having an abnormal angiogram is the one who's going to be preferentially appropriately treated with the next set of steps. So the triaging process can be further improved and you can develop the appropriateness for referral instead of just sending everybody for all kinds of tests. You know, so that is currently uh, being being done mostly in, in research work, but rapidly is going to translate into clinical practice. I, I believe this will happen in the next one or two years. Uh, but can you use this technology alone? Uh, does, if you see something um, through this artificial intelligence, does it need to be followed up with further diagnostic tests? Yes. So uh, artificial intelligence can aid a physician in developing a roadmap of how further testing needs to be done. It obviates or reduces the need of testing when the pretest probability using this technique is very low for the presence of a disease. So what I'm, what I'm suggesting is that it's a very good way for screening the population, for using it into the clinics and developing a pathway uh, for uh, developing the next sets of steps. We do have some technology in evolution uh, which can replace some other techniques. For example, we have a technique that when applied to ultrasound images, 
can provide the same information that would come otherwise from magnetic resonance imaging, a more expensive test, and it's not going to be available everywhere. So, so some of these technologies are in, in, in process of research. But yes, the answer, short answer is yes, some of these are not completely developed for implementation right now, but they are, in, they are getting incubated in the research studies. Okay. And uh, I had seen a report as well that um, while AI has taken off in many other sectors in the economy, it's used daily, there have been some complications in healthcare. Why is that? And do you see that changing in the near future? Yes. So, uh, you know, healthcare, when when the tools were developed initially in the industry, uh, they were developed to basically uh, do prediction, like, for example, in Facebook or when you go onto some electronic websites to increase the traffic of people coming for retail and so on and so forth. Healthcare is far more complex, uh, and diseases are highly complex. And as I mentioned, diseases are not just a bunch of data, and patients are not data. Uh, Patients are human beings, and and when you develop a therapy in a shared decision-making there are all kinds of variations that come in, and, and they are impact, impacted by patients' preferences, empathy, and your trust, and all, all, all of these, in, in addition to the diagnosis. So simply making a, making a diagnosis may not translate into a useful outcome. This is number one. Number two is there is a lot of heterogeneity. Heterogeneity means there's variations. Different hospitals may be different in how they store the data how patients are treated, what are the policies and practices. So it's not completely the same in every place. So as a result, if something is developed here in Robert Wood, may not necessarily work in some other hospital because the ground truth may be completely different. There may be lots of variations. So for these reasons, what we call as the generalizability of the AI tools, implementation of AI has been a little bit more challenging in healthcare. Having said that, implementation of AI for low-hanging tools like imaging, uh, making measurements, mundane activities has been fast. They're already here. We are already using them in our imaging equipment. So, but but uh, it cannot still replace a physician. Physician still needs to be in the loop in making the medical decision. So I think AI engineers, therefore, are recognizing that they need to work close hand-in-hand with physicians to develop the solution. It's not like you develop a, uh, some form of an AI engine and it's going to work for every patient. So one has to be very careful. It still has to be a physician in the loop or augmenting the physician is, is more, more important than using it independently. Right, because robots can make mistakes too. Absolutely. They can be very dangerous mistakes. And remember, uh, there are all kinds of biases. In the current current medical literature, we do see there are considerable attention being paid to healthcare disparities and how there are inequalities. And when you use the same tools to train the models, these biases can go into the tool, and that can be extremely dangerous. So for those reasons, I think there is a, a lot of considerations of ethics of AI, how do you reduce biases in AI, and for these reasons, I think AI is very good right now for low-hanging activities or the narrow AI, but for higher-caliber physician-related activities, I would still have a physician in the loop. Uh, So they are still for augmenting a physician's work and not replacing them. 
But it is interesting when you consider that even in the U.S., there is a lot of these healthcare deserts where there's inadequate access to medical services. Dr. Sengupta, how can these new technologies help reach more people in areas where they don't have the appropriate screening or doctors to read the screens? Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's one of, the, one of the areas we've been really actively working on. When we talk about healthcare dessert, before arriving uh, at Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, I was at West Virginia University for four years. We had the opportunity to develop some of the uh, architecture for innovation using AI tools for screening in Appalachian Mountains, where, again, the same problem is existing of healthcare services in remote uh, settings. One thing which has evolved, and, and you would all agree, is the emergence of telemedicine. So telemedicine was really very quickly adopted because of the COVID pandemic. But what happened in the telemedicine era, people started investigating how could we do a physical examination? How could we do a, an AI integration? Could there be some variables or some other physiological sensors that could be used as a surrogate for a direct patient contact or a visit? Uh, and could that work in a telemedicine environment? The answer, short answer is yes. The emergence of variables, particularly, you know, you know now, like there are different types of watches that can look for arrhythmias. There are different types of monitors that can look for a sleep pattern, your nutrition. There is a huge opportunity to develop screening techniques that can allow or alarm you for dangerous uh, condition. For example, atrial fibrillation, which can cause stroke because of blood clots forming in the heart and traveling. You can use some AI-based techniques to detect that in your homes and in your communities. You can use AI-based tools similarly in a virtual environment, in a telemedicine environment, to try to understand what are the patient's physiological signals and sensors and how does that equate to presence or absence of a disease. So there's an enormous opportunity for us to develop uh, methods for understanding presence, presence of early signals of disease, particularly devastating disease like strokes and heart attacks and heart failures. Uh, we are actively looking into this area. There is a method for also having monitoring for patients who are at risk being done at home. This is called as hospital at home. I mean, the, ultimately the patients, when they come from, the, from their home to the hospital and they're going back to the home, we need to have this full continuum of care. I mean, the hospital is one just visit in their episode of care uh, and it doesn't end there. We are recognizing that if we need to really avoid the ultimate problems in healthcare, and those are the poor outcomes that we see with cardiovascular diseases, we have to see this full continuum, home to the hospital if necessary and back to home, or even surveillance at home. And that's where I think AI is going to be very useful because there's tons of information and, and it's impossible to monitor all of this in information just using uh, uh, um, manual power. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible. So the AI is a big help in this area. And these breakthroughs are so important because we know that cardiac disease is the number one killer 
of Americans and certainly will be the number one killer around the world, um, in every part of the world. And we know that early diagnosis is critical when it comes to heart disease. So in summary, how important will this technology be in diagnosing heart disease early and really helping a major part of the population that suffers from heart conditions? That's exactly. So uh, I think the goal in the next two, three years is uh, if there is a way for us to predict subsets of patients who are at higher risk of cardiac events. And research has shown that if we can look into their risk factor, factor profile, if we can look into their physiological uh, signals and their habits, it's, it's possible to predict subsets of people in the population who are at higher risk of events like strokes and heart attack and heart failure. How do we find them in the communities? How do we uh, bring them into, in, the, in the clinics and, and, and intervene with our medical therapies or behavioral therapies is the most challenging aspect of research. So we, we have to start embracing, first of all, a, a venture in which uh, using new technologies, uh, which are miniaturized technologies, variables, what we call as digital cardiology, and then using it with smart tools like AI and using that for predictive analytics is going to allow us to identify and treat subsets of people we're at high risk. And, and this is going to be a game changer on when we consider uh, the epidemic of chronic communicable diseases, be it, be it cardiology, be it cancer. Interestingly, there's a lot of sharing of underlying risk factors in all this chronic non-communicable disease. So from population health standpoint, I think these tools and techniques and AI certainly is going to be very important to pursue. Dr. Sengupta, the Chief of Cardiology at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital and Chair of the Division of Cardiology at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. Thanks for joining us to talk about how technology-enabled cardiac care is changing the game. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Marla. You've been listening to the RWJ Barnabas Health Healthy Together podcast, brought to you by RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Visit them and learn more at rwjbh.org.